preaching is one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. So there's a whole attitude in that. I'm a beggar. I don't have the answers. I don't come to tell you. But we are beggars. I found bread here. This is what I found. This is for you. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from American Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, an associate editor at American Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Jude Siciliano. Jude was born in Brooklyn, New York, and he now lives in Irving, Texas. He is a member of the Southern Dominican province of the United States. For 14 years, he taught homiletics at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, and he is the past president of the Catholic Association of Teachers of Homiletics. Jude has also given retreats and preaching workshops to ordained and lay preachers alongside Dominican sisters Catherine Hilkett and Patricia Bruno. You can also read Jude's weekly email reflections on the Sunday scriptures called First Impressions. Visit preacherexchange.org. Jude, welcome to Preach. Oh, so nice to be here. Thank you. It's a joy to have you. I've heard from many people that you are the person to have on preach, so I'm glad that we, we have you now. <laughs> no pressure on me right now. <laughs> Jude, where are you now? You know, What audience do you have in mind as you are thinking about preaching this homily for us? Well, this homily specifically would be here at the Priory. And so at the Dominican Priory, it's a small congregation. University students come from the University of Dallas, it's a middle-class and professional congregation of lay people, maybe my 60 or 70 people on a Sunday. Great. And we usually hear a little bit about the reading, you know, that the homily is based upon. Mm -hmm. But you've asked us specifically if you could read the reading. Yes. For the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, taken from Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 9. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me, and you triumphed. All the day I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jude, I'm excited to hear what you've prepared for our listeners based on this reading. So, we will now hear Jude Siciliano's homily for the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. A 
friend of mine told me about a pharmacist she knew. His name was Bill. He was one of three at the pharmacy, the chief pharmacist, a female pharmacist, and himself. The chief pharmacist was retiring and offered the position to Bill. Bill was flattered but protested that his female colleague should be given the position. She was an excellent pharmacist and had been there longer. The chief pharmacist rejected his suggestion. The reason he gave was that the female pharmacist was a married woman and didn't need the higher pay. Bill saw the injustice towards a highly qualified employee, and so he quit his job. He took a stand, saying, I have three daughters, and I want to fight the injustice that they may meet in their future jobs. It's an injustice many women face, sometimes daily. Well, Bill's decision cost him. He was unemployed for a while as he searched for a new job. So let's put it in biblical terms. Bill was a prophet. Like Jeremiah, he was a spokesperson for justice. He took a stand and paid the price. When someone is annoyed at another person, when they meet the person, they skip right over the pleasantries like, how are you? Or, Good to see you. How have you been? Instead, they launch right into their complaint and they voice their grievances, saying things like, how could you? I thought we were friends. That's what Jeremiah is doing in our first reading. He laments and complains to God. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. He continues, I'm an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Well, some of us might say, you shouldn't talk to God that way. It's as if we're afraid that we might hurt God's feelings, or God might be angry with us, or we might drive God away from us. Not Jeremiah. This great prophet encourages us to speak our minds to God, as we say, to blow off steam at God, not to hold back when the situation calls for it, but keep the channels of communication open with God by honest speech and even complaints if necessary. That's better than silence. That's the situation Jeremiah found himself in, he was not by nature a courageous man, but he heard a call from God, and he had to respond to it. That's what got him in trouble, not only with his community around him, but with the religious authorities in the temple as well. You see, Israel had betrayed its covenant with God. They lacked trust in God's protection, and instead— made alliances with pagan nations against the coming Babylonian onslaught. Jeremiah challenged the people for their disloyalty to God, and so they resisted him. He was locked up in stocks outside the temple. He was an object of mockery and scorn. How humiliating. That was not the price that he expected to pay when he said yes to God's call. Despite the opposition he met, he kept speaking out, predicting doom for the nation. 
God's word had touched his entire being, and he could not keep it to himself, despite his personal pain. God's word was, he says, burning in my heart, and he says, imprisoned in my bones. It seems he just couldn't resist God's call. He looked into his deeper self and found courage to pay whatever price to keep preaching the Word of God. He didn't like it very much. He never suspected the price he would have to pay, and so he complained to God. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. Have you ever had to take an unpopular position like Jeremiah or Bill because you knew it was the right thing to do and then had to pay a price? Lost a friend or several friends? Been rejected by your colleagues? Snubbed by your classmates for standing up for a student being bullied? Mocked for speaking out against racism? or prejudice against the LGBT community, even when you found those attitudes in your own Catholic community. Jeremiah is a good example of what it means to be a bearer of God's word. It costs physically. It costs emotionally. It costs spiritually. But as we hear in today's gospel, prophecy didn't stop at the end of the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus calls his disciples then and now to follow him, to be prophets in his name. And as it cost him, it will cost us. He says today that following him will mean denying ourselves and accepting suffering in his name. It may not mean being martyred as he and many of his disciples after him were, but it does mean being a witness to him so that people will recognize Christ in our words and actions. Is it any wonder that the word witness in the New Testament means martyr? Responding to Jesus in our daily lives will cost us. Well, realizing that, let us pray a verse, the verse from our responsorial psalm, which says, My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord. Because with God, we will be able to answer the costly call Jesus issues us each day. Come, he says, take up your cross and follow me. That was Jude Siciliano for Preach. After the break, we'll hear Jude's top tips for improving preaching given his decades-long experience as a teacher of homiletics. Welcome back to Preach. Jude, often it's difficult to know where to begin. And you've begun with this story of the pharmacist, Mm -hmm. right? So you move from this ancient prophet, Jeremiah, to, if you will, a modern prophet in this pharmacist. So walk me through this process. How do you come up with, where do I begin? (laughs) Well, you know, spending time on the scriptures and hearing a message that I'm hearing and then trying to communicate that message to people that I'm preaching to, 
as I do that, I try to concretize it in the example of their lives if I can. And so I'll look for a human situation that speaks to this passage. One of the theories of preaching is that in every preaching, there should be three stories. The story of God, the story of the preacher, and the story of the listeners, the congregation. And if you were standing at an old-fashioned blackboard, you would make a circle, story of God. And then overlapping that circle a bit, you'd have the story of the preacher. And then overlapping those two circles, the story of the congregation. And the area of those three circles that overlap each other, that's what you're preaching from. So it's really a Venn diagram for preaching. A Venn diagram for preaching. I've never heard that, but that sounds good to me. I'll use it from now on. (laughs) We've just heard your homily. Mm -hmm. But can you give me those three moments sort of where we had God's story, your story, and the community's story? And then you come up with the story of the pharmacist. Where did that story come from? The Dominican sister with whom I preached, Sister Patricia Bruno, told me that story of a friend. I said, oh, thank you. You know, it's like the experience, aha, (laughs) that fits. And sometimes it's in a newspaper. Sometimes it's your own life, you know, your life experience. If I understand you correctly, you prayed with the scriptures. Yes. The line that stayed with you was, you dupe me, O Lord. Mm -hmm. You then thought, okay, where in my life have I felt this way? Yes. And is there something in my experience that speaks to this? And so you came up with Sister Patricia's story. Thank you, Sister Patricia Bruno. Uh, (laughs) We hope to hear you on Preach someday. And then from that, you came to this idea of, you know, how do I communicate with the congregation? And it's interesting to me because the translation we have is you duped me, and that clearly caught your attention. But immediately I heard duped. That's a new word, right? Because sometimes you hear that scripture and it's, you seduced me, O Lord. You induced me, O Lord. You deceived me, O Lord. But duped? It's an interesting choice. When do you make a decision maybe to share with the congregation different interpretations of the scripture or different word choice in the scripture? I don't know if I do that. What I do is I focus on the word given and I try to work out of that. So I don't know if they need to want to know about other words that could have been used. You might, but as you say, you know, he could have said, you seduced me, Lord, because that's what it feels like. You, you're so attractive and I was drawn to you. Mm. But duped, I think, is even a stronger word. And it takes boldness to say that to God. And I wanted somehow in the homily to say, yeah, be bold with God. You know, God's not going to swap us down. This is a God of the promise, the God of the covenant, the God of fidelity. So go with the word. Yeah, I'm glad you went with the word because immediately for me, the connotations were more negative. Mm -hmm. And then the way you drew it out, it helped us to think about it differently. So I'm glad you did go with that word. So top tip for me. You know what helps too is the time in preparation. You know, I remember years ago reading, I think her name was Marilyn Zeller at Stanford. She had a book on the creative process and what characterizes artists no matter what art form they practice, including preaching. And she said, one of the things is all artists, whatever art they do, waste time. So I think that's what I try to do too. I can't do it all in one sitting. And I don't want to be idealistic about this because I'm a busy preacher and pastors and religious educators are very busy. But still, take it in a couple of sections. Give yourself some space. You know, you're taking a shower and something occurs to you. Where did that come from? She says something else too. She says, creative people ask creative people how they do what they do, which is what you and I are doing right now. And she says, like the impressionist painters in Paris, you know, at the end of the 
what, 19th century. They sat around in cafes and they talked about how they use color. You talk about what you do. Why'd you do that? How come? And preaching too. Well, leaping off of that, I mean, you've been <laughs> teaching preaching for decades. So I'm going to sit at the foot of the master now. And I, I want to ask you, what would be your top tips for preaching? What do you think priests, preachers, religious women, men, lay liturgical preachers would benefit from in your experience of teaching, preaching, and as a practitioner? Well, you know, I would avoid preaching on themes. You know, and I hear people say, what theme are you preaching on this weekend? Bury themes. You don't preach on themes. And you don't preach on the readings. You preach from the readings. What do you mean by avoid themes? Why would we avoid themes? Well, you want to preach the gospel, so you don't want to preach about the gospel. You don't want to preach about a reading. You know, I don't want to preach themes. I, that's abstract. You know, John the Baptist, they, they preach out of their experience and out of what they hear God say. They don't preach about it. Fred Craddock, the uh, homiletician at Emory, said, preaching is one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. So there's a whole attitude in that. I'm a beggar. I don't have the answers. I don't come to tell you, but we are beggars. I found bread here. This is what I found. This is for you. I really like that one. I, I like this idea that we all stand in need of God and we all stand in need of learning. Yes. That it isn't simply me teaching you or me telling you what to do, yeah. but that this is a dialogical process, even though we don't actually hear the congregation audibly, right? And the preacher is supposed to be communicating. And so the preacher is supposed to be in dialogue with the congregation. I have to pay attention to when somebody in the front row is yawning, I've got to know, well, it's time. You know what helps that attitude is you don't speak to you. You speak about us in the preaching, I think. Mm -hmm. We, us. So you're included with it. So people don't feel like you've come from on high to teach them how to behave. Jude, I wonder if we can turn to something else which came across as you preached, but also because I received the text beforehand of your homily. You write it all out but you use what you call an oral manuscript. You write it as you are going to read it or as you are going to proclaim it. Yes. What's the thinking behind that? Well, while I was in college, I worked at ABC Television as a page on the west side of Manhattan, and I watched people live on television, and someone held up a cue card for them. And the cue card wasn't typed out like large letters. It was written in a style that the person speaking could speak. So what I would do would be on a blank page, one side of the page, so I could shift the page across and not turn pages. I would write an oral manuscript by hand. And as I wanted to make a couple of details, I'd do them down below the sentence. And then when I did that, I'd go back to the beginning of the column and go across. I would circle keywords in red. I would draw lines across where I want to pause. I would put lines in the middle of a sentence if I wanted to pause in the middle of a sentence. And the transitional part, I would put a line across. The advantage for me, too, is one of the key elements of good preaching is nonverbal communication. So if I can free my eyes up from the page and look at people most of the time, and this kind of manuscript allows me to, people tend to believe people who look at them. And I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but they said, 90% of nonverbal communication is eye contact. 
And a manuscript that allows me to look up and come back down and find my place easily frees me up to look a lot at people. I mean, this requires serious preparation. I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day. I know from my job as a journalist, when I take notes by hand, yes. I know exactly where to go in the notebook to find them because I know it's like top left-hand corner and I've written it in small above something else. Yes. If I type up notes, I have no idea where I'm going to find them because mm-hmm. you know everything looks the same yeah. unless I sit and sort of draw circles around it. But even then, just that visceral experience of drawing circles and scratching lines across words is so helpful. This also means you need to practice, right? I mean, this means you need to actually sort of sit with that script and make these notes of where you want to emphasize something, where you want to highlight, where you want to pause. You know, I preach in parishes, so I certainly want to give credit to preachers in parishes who do it every day, do it at funerals, do it at weddings. So I know I'm being a bit idealistic at this too, but yes, especially for the preaching on Sunday. Yeah, I think you have to practice it aloud. And, you know, when I used to make my trip in California over to the parish, when I practiced it aloud at home, in those days I had a tape recorder, cassette tape recorder, I'd record it. And then when I'd make the trip by car over to the parish, I'd play the recording as I was driving. Hmm. I think we can do that with a cell phone now. A lot of that came out of the fact that for years and years, I was a nervous, nervous preacher. And so, you know, it was like compulsive, but it helped a lot over the years. Talking about over the years, Mm. what would you say is the one thing? If we forget everything we've spoken about, what would you say is the one thing that would be essential to being a good preacher or to being a thoughtful preacher, a preacher that can actually speak the word of God from the heart? Well, you got to spend time with the word of God in the heart. You know, you've got to sit with it. And that could be a walking with a phrase. It could be what you think about when you drive. And we used to say before the ritual was changed, before the Lord's Prayer, we would say, formed by the Word of God, we dare to say. That's what we have to be, formed by the Word of God, so we dare to say. And then we speak. There are no shortcuts, right? I mean, you actually have to put the time in in prayer. Yeah. I admire preachers who are so hardworking, and, but somehow, yes. Who are the people who have shaped your preaching style improved, helped you along the way? Well, the sisters with whom I've preached, my partners, Mm -hmm. because I get immediate feedback. Tell me about that experience of preaching alongside women, because of course it's unique and rare in our church. I will not accept a parish retreat or a retreat without my partner. In this case, it's Sister Patricia or Catherine Hillkirch during the summers. You know, she's at Notre Dame. The women hear from a whole different experience, the Word of God. And I admire how much and how hard they work to prepare the preaching. And you sit there listening to it, and you're touched by it. Hmm. What specifically have you learned from the women? Or, you know, where have you drawn inspiration for your own preaching? Uh, They speak out of their own experience. They obviously care deeply about the preaching. They express in their preaching a care and concern for the people to whom they preach. And when I preach, they'll come up as a friend later on and say, I really like this, but I think you could have done that. You know, it, and that's formative over the years. I can hear how important this is for you. Yes. I mean, it's important for us too. And in the coming weeks, we'll certainly hear from women on this show. Good. It's been great to have you. I'm sure we'll hear from you again on Preach. Thank you for joining us.
It's been wonderful. And I am a subscriber to America Magazine. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loschett Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just visit the link in our show notes. And you can follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before we go... Did you know that America Media can deliver new scripture reflections to your inbox every day? If you're a digital subscriber, they're probably there waiting for you. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. There's a link in your show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news.